Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Man, first service, God really unpacked a lot of things that uh, I think were specific to the people in the room. And that's the only way that I can figure out why the services go so different directions between first service and second service. It's not like I have different notes or we're trying to force something or whatever, but I feel like God has specific things for specific people in the room that, that he wants you to hear. So today, before I really jump into the message, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear today what the word of the Lord is speaking. I believe that today... God is going to provide a clarity in your lives like never before. Is this, was it still foggy or the fog had lifted by the time you guys got here? Lifted? Intermittent fog? So this morning when we were on our way to church, we got here super early. Now, I knew the church was here, but I couldn't see the church. Uh, you know, came in the parking lot. There was a few vehicles that beat me here. And, but traveling the destination, knowing where we're going, there are times when we feel like we are walking through fog. We can't see clearly. I believe that this is going to be a year of God lifting the fog of providing clarity, providing understanding, providing revelation to you in a way that you never have. You know, it's not that God does not want us to grow. It's not that God does not want us to experience his presence in a radical, real way in this lifetime. I hear a lot of people say, well, when I get to heaven, well, when I get to heaven, all things will be made new. But right now, I need to be made new every single day. I need God's grace and his provision and his, his guidance every single day of my life. I need to be able to see what God wants me to see. I want to be able to hear what God wants me to hear. I want to be able to impact lives like God wants me to impact lives. Now, as you hear me say this, this is not just Pastor Noe speaking for himself. This is a commissioning for you to begin to, be, to move into this year of participating rather than spectating. If you have been spectating, it's a time for movement. It's a time to get involved. It is a time to enlarge God's kingdom authority here on the earth. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this morning that God wants to use us. Do you realize that? Us, like collectively, not Pastor Noe this morning. So right now, if you're already saying, well, yeah, that's for you, Pastor. I want you to stop right now because you are here by a divine purpose for a specific plan. You were not born in vain. You were born in, in birth for such a time as this. Do not miss the moment that God has for you. Do not let time just pass by. You know, I am amazed at how fast time goes. The older you get, seems like the faster it goes, huh? I remember when I was a little, little baby, little kid, man, it seems like years lasted forever. Is it summer yet? Is it Christmas yet? When's my next birthday, mom? It seemed, it seemed like it was forever, but now the older I get, now I don't know if it's because they're sweeter years or are they different years or has time become more important to me where I'm using my time rather than losing my time. I'm focusing on what it is that God has for me, those sweet moments, those sweet seasons. And, you know, the word of the Lord has been being spoken that the, the future is before you, not behind you. Your best is yet to come. 
You know, I, I want to reminisce on new journeys, new stories, new goodness of God, not the old goodness of God. I know there's times when we get older, we want to explain to these young bucks the good old days. Or those times, hey, remember when? Well, when I was little or when I was younger. But I believe that today in this moment, God wants to begin to release clear vision and stir an expectation in your heart for such a time as this. You know, I think everyone in the course of, I think, God expanding his kingdom, there's generations that have done really well, that have enlarged the territory of God, that have followed the commission even unto death of what God has called them to. And I see that there's this spiritual transition of passing of a baton. How many of you have ever seen a, a baton race where, they, where they're running and the first one runs the first leg and then they throw their hand back in confidence that they're going to pass the baton successfully? Well, what ensures the success of the race? The handoff. The transition. Running your part with endurance. Running your part to the best of your ability. Don't worry about the other guy. Once the baton is passed to you, what are you going to do with your leg of the race? Will you run well or will you be discouraged? Well, he didn't run fast enough, so we're going to lose anyway. I got any of them people? That's called cup half empty, not cup half full type mentality. But you have a chance once the baton has been placed to you to run the race of endurance and to run it well. It doesn't matter what the generation has done behind you. But what you do today will determine the course of the destiny of the generations ahead of us. We can't change the past. We can't say, well, if I would have had a spiritual father, if I would have had a spiritual mother, if they would have shown me how to do it, I would have been further along. If you sit there and wallow in the past, we will never secure the future for the next generation. The best thing you can do is run the race you have been given with endurance to the best of your ability. And you have to realize that what is at stake is an enemy of your life that wants you to drop the baton, that wants you to quit running, that wants you to trip, that wants you to fail. It's a fight for your life. It's a fight of a spiritual kingdom that God wants to expand here on the earth. Can you point to yourself and say, God wants to use me Push hard, like, like where it kind of hurts a little bit. You, that's who God has chosen. Pastor Noe will do what I've been called to do, but God needs you to do what he's called you to do. It's, each of us has a significant part in the big picture of accomplishing God's kingdom. But I believe this year in 2023, God has great things in store for the church. He has great things in store for harvest time, and he has great things in store for his kingdom. I believe it's going to be a season of transition, of change, promotion, uncharted territory. But I believe that if you want to, you can be a part of the big picture of what God is doing. But we have to also realize that there is a war, a spiritual war that is raging around us. There's the enemy of our souls that wants to kill us and distract us and to rob from us in every single way. And I believe that if we had spiritual sunglasses this morning and we could put those glasses on, we'd be able to see the spiritual warfare that's, it, that's happening. Now, I'll tell you what, if you could see in the spirit in this room, there's going to be a lot more good than bad. 
because we have set this place apart. We have prayed over this building. We have set a bloodline around this property to where the Spirit of God is free to have his way. That may be why some of you feel peace, you feel rest, you feel comfort. But as a church and as a pastor and as leaders, we've taken authority over this place. You have to also take authority over your places, over your home, over your vehicles, over your workplace. Set it apart because there is a spiritual war all around us. Let's look at a few passages to jump into this message this morning. Revelations 12, 12. It says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Do you realize the enemy is ticked off? You know, when I read this passage, I think about a hornet's nest. If you were to walk up and you'd flick the hornet's nest, you know what them hornets are going to do? They're going to try to tear your butt up. That is the vendetta that the devil has against us in this lifetime as sons and daughters of God. He knows that his time is short, but he is full of fury. And if we don't fight with the right spiritual weapons, we could get stung and we could get harmed. And we could prevent ourselves from living our lives to the fullness of what God has. Anytime we allow the, the plan of the enemy to prevail in our life, it sidetracks us. It doesn't remove us from the plan of God, but it sidetracks us from the destination maybe God wants us to get. You know, I, I hear people debate all the time the unchangeable will of God, the perfect will of God. I'll tell you what, as creatures of choice, we can make poor choices and change the course, the trajectory of our lives. Doesn't mean that God didn't have great plans, that God didn't have a great destination for you, but the choices, the decisions, the relationships, all of the things, decisions you make determine the outcome. Does God work all those things together for your good? Absolutely. We know scripture says that. He works all things together for those who love him. But we want to also be aware that it's not the God of heaven and earth that is warring against our souls and furious and causing destruction in our life. It's the enemy of this world. John 10, 10, it says, the thief, this is talking about the devil, comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, that's pretty easy for me. You, you, can, have, you can stay over here in the kill, steal, destroy, or you can over here and have life and life more abundantly. Now, it's, a, it's an easy decision for me. I want to live life more abundantly. But when we live that life more abundantly, we know that we have an enemy who is out to get us. I don't know, I've seen people, you know, for a lifetime not serve the Lord, and it's like the devil leaves them alone because they're wallowing in their own destruction, right? They're on the course to hell. They are living a life that is glorifying the devil, not glorifying God. But how many of you have seen when somebody comes to the knowledge of the Lord, it's like everything changes. All of a sudden, the enemy begins to war against your soul. He wants to get in your mind. He wants to affect your emotions. He wants all of your world to fall apart so that you think it's God's fault. And all of the time, God has come that you may have life and life more abundantly. But the enemy of this world comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Matthew 10, 28 in the New Living Translation says, Do not be afraid of those who want to kill the body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. So during this series, we're going to look at how to fight our spiritual battles. How many of you have never thought about spiritual battles? So everybody's thought about spiritual battles? 
Okay? Spiritual battles are a real thing. Just because we don't think they're real or don't think they exist, there is a spiritual battle at stake between heaven and hell, between good and bad. All of, all of the movies and stuff, it's kind of like that, but a little bit different. Right? You know, there are bad things, there are good things, there are spiritual things, there are demonic things. There are all of these realms in the spirit that we are warring against. Now, I think as a son and daughter of God, we don't have to fear and fret, but we need to be aware. We need to realize that we are fighting a war against those spiritual forces. So here's what 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, Though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretentious... Uh, proud thought obstacle that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So we fight with God's mighty weapons. We knock down and demolish strongholds. Uh, we, we demolish any false arguments, accusations, any proud obstacle, and we teach people to obey Christ. So think about the battle scene for a minute. We've all seen enough movies that we've seen the battle scene, right? So in the battle scene, there are usually two positions that the army will rest in. They will either rest in an offensive position or they will rest in a defensive position. What is the defensive position always going to do? They are going to wait and they're not going to move until the other team moves. They're going to respond, not lead the way as far as changing the outcome. They are just kind of, kind of more passive rather than proactive in that approach. I want to challenge us as the church to begin to be more proactive rather than just defensive. I hear people all the time, well, pastor, you just don't know what's going on out there. And, you know, we're just kind of taking the licks. You know, I mean, defense does put your hands up, but it also doesn't allow you to knock the enemy out either, right? Defense protects yourself as they swing, but it's never going to knock the enemy's front teeth out. It's going to protect yourself. And I think sometimes we're at that place of self-survival where we're so afraid of getting hurt. What we really need to do is get in the game and be offensive. Because I'll tell you what, you pop the devil in the mouth enough, he's going to back up. But if he can keep you cowering and backing up and just being self-defensive, man, he'll own you. He'll back you into a corner. Kind of psych you out, right? It's when we really stand our ground and collect ourselves, and we fight the fight that God has called us to. So we need to be offensive, not just defensive. We need to know how to respond to the war around us, trusting the weapons he's given us. So during this series, we're going we're gonna to unwrap three different weapons that God has given his people. Um, and when we operate in these weapons, these powerful weapons, they change the situation around us, and they allow the power of God to be used through his people. That's through me. That's through you. We see those gifts and those, those, um, those abilities and those, um, those weapons used. So the three weapons that God has given us is first the weapon of worship, the weapon of the word, and the weapon of unity. So this morning, my goal is just to kind of give us an intro of what we're going to be talking about. I want you to know today that there is a war for your soul. That you need to decide, I'm going to fight, I'm not going to give up, and I'm, I'm going to see what it is that I'm up against, and I'm going to do something about it. You ever seen a mad mama? Somebody's picking on my kid. You need to get a little bit in, uh, of, of grit inside of you to stand up and no longer take what the devil's been dishing out in your life and in the culture around us. If we're not proactive and we're not offensive and we're just defensive, we're just going to sit there and say, well... 
You know, pastor, yeah, I know. We have to do something about it. We have to be involved. We have to change the situation. Just don't respond to the situation. So deep down, that has to change. But there is power in worship. There is power in the word. And there is power in unity. But each of us have to allow God to be released in our lives in those areas. Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but I want these scriptures to kind of reinforce and support everything we're talking about. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, he was raised to life and he's now at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That means that he's actually praying for us. Tell you what, Jesus prays, it's a good thing. Verse 35, what, sh- what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor any powers, neither heaven, neither heights or depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's look at that list real quick. It says trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Let's think about that just for a minute. How many of you have had trouble? How many of you have had trouble? This is a good chance to wake up if you're struggling out there. Get your hand up. All of us have had trouble at one point or another. How about the next one? Hardship. That's a little more extreme than trouble. Hardship means, man, I can't catch a break. This is breaking and this is happening. You know, this is oppression. This is the enemy really kind of kind of busting you up. This is, this is where you just, you're, you're, you're struggling. This is more than just trouble. This is something that affects us a little more severe compared to trouble. So what about persecution? That word persecution implies to be beat, bruised, and bodily harm for your faith. Now, I think from here out is kind of where it changes, where we have not experienced that, but we have heard testimonies of people experiencing that. But what this list is saying, it says, in all of these things, you are more than conquerors. So what I want to challenge you with this morning is realizing wherever you're at, which is probably above persecution, is you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So let's keep going on that list. What about famine? Now, I don't know if the U.S. could ever go into famine, but that is a lack of food supply. So much food in the U.S., I don't know how in the world that would happen. It would have to be like the hand of God releasing like crazy plagues and removing everything. Because, man, we'd be shooting cows and deer, anything that walks, we'd eat it. I don't know what we would, we would, we'd be okay for a while. But when I look at that word famine, famine is, we, we, anybody ever experienced a famine? I'm not talking about an empty, empty fridge because you didn't go to the grocery store. I'm talking famine where there is just no food and there's this fear and there's, you know, that in all of these things, you are still more than a conqueror. What about nakedness? So nakedness, I was thinking about, that's not a lack of clothes. That is a robbing of your clothes to, 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 to look at you and to humiliate you because of your faith. It's not because I said, man, I could wear the same pair of clothes till Jesus comes back. Probably I'll just keep sewing them up. That's not what it's implying. 
that you are humiliated before people in full nakedness because of your faith. Anybody ever experienced that? But even in that, you are more than a conqueror. That's what the scripture says. Danger. How many of you ever have been fearful of your life? Now, I'm not talking driving down the road and Miss Nancy cuts you off and you think you almost died. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about danger of your life where you, you, are, you are almost going to give up your life for the cause of Christ. It's being in physical, life-threatening danger for your life. It says, even in that, you're more than Congress. What about sword? That means you, are, you have actually given your life for the cause of Christ. Even if you die, you are more than a conqueror in Christ. Now, in this, mor- in, in this morning, I believe we've all avoided the sword because you're still here. Okay? So when we look at that, it doesn't matter what we experience in this war in this lifetime. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We got that? So we got to know. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. Pastor, I don't want this war. I don't want this war either, but we've been called into this war. We are here to fight on behalf of the king of heaven and earth. But I tell you what, I'd rather be on his side than on the enemy's side. So this morning, we're gonna, I'm going to give you four things to remember when preparing for war. Number one, battles will come. It's inevitable. Can you say that with me? Say, battles will come. All right, get past your naiveness. Say it one more time. Battles will come. You say, oh, I don't know about this stuff. Battles are going to come. So we as Christians are already in this battle. We just may not be aware of it as much as we need to be. The enemy wants to rob from you. He wants to end your life. And he wants to cause destruction all around you. This to me, guys and gals, looks like a war zone. If, God wants to, if the devil wants to kill me and steal from me and rob from me, it's pretty bad. Right? That is a war against me. Trouble is going to come, but fear not. John 16, it says, In this world you will have dr- trouble. This is Jesus speaking. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Thank God for that. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He told you you're going to have trouble. Hey, get over the trouble. Trouble's going to be a part of it. Man, I prayed to God we don't have to go through all that other list. But if it comes, it's okay. God is bigger than anything we're going to go through. He has overcome it. Anything and everything we're going to go through. Well, pastor, there's a lot of confusing things in this world. How do I know which side is which? It's really cloudy. Like, you know, we, we see Christians who say they're Christians, which everybody is a Christian nowadays, but, and, and don't necessarily support certain Christian values. Then you have others say, well, Jesus loves everybody. And then a tolerance for everything. And so we see a divided. What I want us to do is how do we know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to give you the answer in scripture. First John four, two through six. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. I love when the, when the Bible gives you a very specific, it, it, it highlights it. This is what it's going to talk about. And then it shows us, it says, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's the first side. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, which we all stay there. But here's what we don't understand sometimes. And even now is already in the world. It's not like we're waiting, well, the devil's going to show up one day and I guess I'll be ready. No, he's already here and he's trying to mess up your life. He's picking on you because you're God's son. And him and Jesus ain't on good speaking terms. 
They got in a big fight and he can't take it out on Jesus. But you know what? He can try to take it out on you. But do you realize daddy God will not allow that to happen unless you tolerate it. You know, it's like the bully, right? If you don't tell mom and dad about the bully, you're just going to keep getting bullied. But guess what? You tell daddy about it, it's a bad day for that bully. You got it? You connecting the dots there? If we tolerate it, well, you know, I just got to love everybody. And Come on. When we're, son, when we're sons and daughters of God, our Father will protect us. But we have to realize the enemy and the Antichrist is already here, already in the world. Verse 4. You, dear, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from this world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of this world. They talk confused and don't know what they're talking about because they're of this world. It's okay. They're dumb and they don't know it. It's okay. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to support it. You don't have to live it. They don't understand because they are of the world. But for us who are sons and daughters of God, we have come to our senses. Right? We know what, what they're saying. They are, the world listens to them. But we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So we have an understanding. Those who support Jesus as the only way to heaven are for us. Those who don't believe in Jesus say, well, I can get there anyway. I'll just be good enough, Pastor. That's not, that's not the same. That is the spirit of Antichrist, the ones that do not support Jesus. I got a lot of pastor friends. As long as we agree on Jesus, we're okay. If you're going to justify other ways to get to heaven, it's a little dangerous. Because really rooted in that can be the spirit of the Antichrist. Anything that is anti-Christ, anti-Jesus. Really easy to understand. So those that are for us will hear us. Those who are against us will oppose us. Those who are of the world will listen to the world. Those who are of Jesus will listen to the things of God. You shouldn't agree with everything in the world. You got that? Realize that? You should be fr frustrated with something. Man, y'all are, y'all got problems, right? And just be okay with that. They are of the world. But to those who are sons and daughters, let us be focused on what is the spirit of truth, not what is the spirit of falsehood. So number one, the battles will come. Number two, weapons are being formed and fashioned against you. But just because the weapon is formed does not mean that it can cause harm in your life. And it will not prosper. You will live and you will not die. There's weapons being formed and fashioned against us all the time. But what does Scripture say? Isaiah 54, 11, uh, 54, 17, I'm sorry. It says, but in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised against you uh, up to accuse you. So any weapon formed or fashioned, if you want to use the old translation, will not prosper. But that does not mean that the weapons are not being formed. So how do we accomplish breaking of these weapons? How do we protect ourselves from these weapons that are, that are being fashioned and formed against us? Number one, we got to be able to, to, to fight through the power of worship. Now, we're going to look at that a little bit more next week. But when I say the word worship, I want you to also be thinking about prayer. We know that worship songs, the most powerful worship songs, are prayers, biblical prayers submitted to God. And uh, in, in, the, in the old days, that's how they learned. People, didn't, how many, people still don't really like to pray, but we tricked y'all. We taught y'all worship and get you to pray. Imagine that. We put it through music. We th put it through song. But, but worship is one of those things that is prayer put to music that really breaks the power of the enemy. And it breaks the weapons that are being formed and fashioned against us. The power of worship and prayer 
compounded with the power of his word, completely dismantles the enemy. It breaks his bow. It causes him to fall in his own pit that he's fashioned for you to fall into. This is what worship does. This is what the word does. It causes you to win. So when we speak the word of God, the plans of the enemy will fail. The word is a weapon that disarms the enemy. So when we worship, when we pray, the plans of the enemy are confused. He can't see clearly. He doesn't know what's going on. We allow the Lord to fight our battles for us. So the power of worship and the word is what breaks those fashioned weapons. All right. So Psalms 8.2, it says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So another translation says, um, you have from, through the praise of children and infants, you have ordained praise. What that means, it naturally will come out of them. Have you ever put on music and watched a kid dance? You might take credit that you taught them that. You didn't teach them that. It just naturally came out of them. It says God has ordained praise in babies and infants. He's put inside of us that spirit of praise. But what does the spirit of praise do? Why does it matter? It says it silences the voice of the foe and the avenger. It shuts the mouth of the devil when we begin to worship, when we begin to praise, when we begin to sing forth to God. So when we praise the voice of the enemy is silenced. How many of you know the enemy without a voice is not that threatening? But the, the, when we have to also realize the enemy running his mouth is one of the most dangerous weapons that he has to his ability. In the Garden of Eden, it's not like he grabbed Eden and said, you eat this fruit. All he did was entice her with the slyness of his tongue. How many of you have listened to the devil before? You took the bait, you ate the fruit, you're like, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. I'll take some of that, and then you get hit by the consequence of that choice. But a silent devil is a good thing. But the enemy running his mouth is the most dangerous weapon that he has. So when we praise, when we, ha when we operate in the power of worship and the power of the word, it silences the voice of the enemy. It quiets his mouth that he can't speak those things. So why does this matter, Pastor? Because when we silence the enemy, then we can hear the vo what the voice of God is saying in our present battle. How many of you parents have ever had to ha try to have a conversation with kids around? Now, you're communicating, but the side conversation over here is messing up the communication. How many of you know when we silence the voice of the enemy, we can hear clearly what's being communicated, what's going and what's coming? Not saying your kids are the devil, but they can distract you. Just like the devil can, right? We have, we've understood that. It's like, be quiet. I'm trying. I can't even hear myself talk. I'm supposed to be hearing what's being said. It's a joke. Come on. Right? It, it distracts us. So when the voice of the enemy is silenced, we can hear the voice of God in our present battle. We know what's happening. We know what to do. We know what not to do. There is the lifting of the fog. We can see clearly of all the things that God is leading us to when his voice is silenced. So the power of worship. The power of the word can change our present situation. So four things to remember when preparing for war. Number one, the battle will come. Number two, the weapons are being formed and fashioned against you, but that doesn't mean they will prosper. Number three, you have to understand that the war can be won. I know some of you give up because you're like, well, I'm just not God. I'm not like you, preacher. I can't do that. You know, and we, we don't think we can win. You can definitely win because God is on 
our side, not just my side, our side. As sons and daughters of the king, he is on our side. So I'm going to tell you a quick story about in Exodus 17, 19 through 11. This was when Moses went to the mountaintop and Joshua was fighting the Amalekites. And he went to the top of the mountain and he went up there with Aaron and her. And they, and they were looking down on the people of God as they were warring against the Amalekites. Well, Moses went up there with his staff. And what happened? Every single time that Moses would raise his hand, Joshua and his army would begin to win. When he would lower his hands, the Amalekites would begin to win. I don't know how many times. I know if that's happened to me, I'm going to be like this. Man, it's working. Can you, can you imagine that? I lift my hands and I see the battle sway one direction. And then I lower my hands and I see the enemy begin to take over. So what is the significance of raised hands? What is the significance of this story? So in this story, he begins to lift his hands, but over the course of time, he becomes tired and he becomes weary. And this is where his two right hand men come in. And this is where the spirit of unity and the power of unity comes into play. Because there's going to come a moment in your, in your life where you get so weary and tired, you can't hold your hands up anymore. You said, God, I have been fighting, I have been warring, and I have been winning, but my hands are growing weary. So he sent two men, one on his left and one on his right, and they propped rocks, and they upheld Moses' hands until the nighttime, and they won the battle. In the spirit of unity, we fight together. If you're weary, I'm strong. When I'm strong, you may be weary. And it all works together. But we see that these lifted hands are an act of surrender, of trusting in God and God alone. I think a lot of times, you know, if I'm Moses, I'd have been like, here, hold this staff. I'm going to go down there and fight. But that wasn't the place that Moses was called to. He was called to lift his hands and trust in the power of God. That is how he fought his battles, was trusting in the Lord, was lifting his hands. But when we're tired, when we're exhausted, this is where the power of unity comes into play. The power, the, the power of unity says that I will hold up your hands because when I win, you win. And when you win, I win. And we'll all win when we're on God's side. The battle can be won in this lifetime. It's not the end game of saying, well, Lord, if you would just come back, it'll get better. Let's fight now. Let's win the war today. Let's lift our hands and trust God for the provision and our dependence on him. Avoiding the war, it's not an option. Trusting in God is an option. Weapons being formed against us, that's a real thing. Having the mindset of realizing that the war can be won, that's up to you and I. You have to believe that it's possible. But when our hands are held high, we release God to fight our battles with us. It's our trust and our dependence on him. Um, I don't know if we have hand lifters in here or not. I wouldn't sit here taking a picture while we were worshiping or anything like that. But I want to practice that this morning. Can you lift your hands up? I don't care what you're comfortable with. If you want to be the low profile, that's fine. If you want to lift them up, if you're tired, kind of wiggle them around. It's a good time to wake up. But there's something symbolic of lifting hands. Can you say this with me? We're just going to practice this. Lift your hand and say, Lord, my trust is in you. Don't look at me and say it to me because there ain't nothing in me going to help you. Just keep, turn your eyes to the tiles, to a bright light, whatever you got to do. Say, Lord, my trust is in you. With our hands lifted high, God, we can't do this without you. Tell them, say, Lord, I can't do this without you. My trust and my hope is in you. Come on, stir it up. Say, I don't have to fear, fret, <laughs> because the battle is the Lord's. <laughs> and as my hands are lifted, I trust in you in every area of my life.
Do what only you can do. Amen. Whose hands are tired? They're getting there, huh? These pythons get wore out. Uh, it's crazy how, I mean, like, my hands ain't that heavy. They get heavy real quick. But there comes a point where we can't hold our hands up. But God will send people and we will operate in the power of unity to hold each other's hands up. Because when we hold each other's hands up or we lift our hands up, guess what? We win the war because we allow God to fight for us. All right? Well, number four, we must war together. So we're still staying on the camp of the power of unity just a little bit more. So there's not only power and unity, but there's also a commanded blessing. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this passage from Psalms 133, but in verse one, it says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then it kind of gives this picture of this oil being poured down. It goes from the top of the head to the beard and it, and it runs all the way down. This is not like a little bit of anointing oil. This is like pouring the whole jug. This anointing and this blessing covers everything. That's what it says that unity is like. How pleasing and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And then it says in verse thir- 3, um, For this is where the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Another translation, for this is where the Lord commands his blessing. When you are part of a body and you are united with the people of God, there is a commanded blessing on your life. That really, you can't get alone. Well, Lord will just bless me on my couch. Might be individual blessing. I don't think that's the commanded blessing that God was talking about when he says, be in unity. Now, I want you to understand that it's possible to be together, but not be united. Just because we're in the same room does not mean that we are in unity. Being in unity means that we have one heart, that we have one soul, we have one mind, and we have one mission. That our focus and our agendas, they're the same. Do you realize it's like we're all part of the same team, but we all have different responsibilities. But, you know, we should all be pursuing the same end zone. You know, I I, I encourage people in the church, I don't care if you're going northeast or northwest, just don't be going south. Going for the wrong end zone. You know, I've had the privilege of watching my little ones play soccer, and it's only a matter of time until someone kicks the ball in the wrong goal. Seems so easy. It's not even guarded. I don't, you know, sometimes there's humiliation because they realize what they did. Sometimes they're just so happy that it was their first goal ever. And as parents, you don't tell them what they did. But as a good coach or as a good parent, you know what you have to do at some point? You have to turn that child around, to turn that kid around. Say, son, daughter, that was a good job. But look, That's the direction we're going. It's going to be challenging. It's going to look a little more like a war scene. You got defenders in the way now. You got a goalie. They're they're not going to just allow you to kick it in. You know what the devil leads you to? It's easy, but it's the wrong way. But the things that God is leading us to, there's a challenge. But I think deep down inside of us, how many of you like a little bit of a good challenge? Deep down, we want the little bit of the struggle. We want because we know that when we win, it will be worth it. That we've worked hard, that we've ran the race with endurance, that we did all that we could to do and accomplish all that God has called us to. This morning, I want you to dig deep. 
I want you to get to the place of where you say, devil, enough is enough. I didn't even know you were robbing from me, but now I know. How many of you keep your house locked at night? Ain't that I don't trust God. I'm just making sure there's not an easy trespass. How many of you lock your cars? Right? You don't. I mean, not helping the honest people stay honest. Right? Why do we do that? Not because we're fearful, but we know that there could be someone that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But I tell you what, if somebody's going to come against me in my home, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to get through all of these bloodlines. You're going to have to get through all of these things. I'm not just going to let you come and rob from me. And I think God wants us to stir up this passion, stir up this excitement, stir up this grit inside of us to fight this spiritual war in a way that is effective. When we win, we all win together. You know, unity, it's, it's focusing not just on myself, but it's focusing on taking care of others. When is the last time you showed up to church thinking about who can I bless today? Who can I pray for? And who looks like they need a hug? Not, oh man, I'm sure I'm gonna, I'm sure glad I get me some Jesus time today. Like, that's okay for a season, sons and daughters. But God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to bless each other. He wants us to, to operate in the power of unity where we all leave encouraged and used by God. So we all win together. Let's look at these last two passages and we're wrapping up. Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, what does that imply? That means two people, one person fighting by themselves, it's going to be rough. Two guys fighting back to back, it's going to be a match, but still can be beat. So it talked about two individuals but then it turned it into three individuals. I believe two people fighting in unity with the spirit of God interwoven between the two is unbreakable. Maybe some of you have never walked in that close proximity to other people. It'll be the best decision that you will ever make to trust others. Is it vulnerable? Yeah. Will you get hurt? Absolutely. Is it worth it? Yes. Every great relationship requires some vulnerability, amen? I'm talking about close relationship, that they know you. If you're not vulnerable, you're not real, if you're not transparent, there's only so much unity you can have. Proverbs 12, 17 through 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adver adversity. Deep down inside of us, I think inside of you and inside of me, we are just waiting for somebody to need our help so we can help. But sometimes we don't ask. I hear about stuff all the time and I'm like, why did you tell us? Well, Pastor, I, I, come on, let somebody know. We are born for adversity. We are ready to help. Armed linked with you, toe to toe. You messing with him, you're gonna mess with me. Pick on one of our church folk, harvest time will take you out. I'm just playing, don't say that. <laughs> Uh, but that's what it's like. We're going to fight for the body of believers. We're going to stand up for each other. You need me. You call me. I'll be there. That's what it really means when we operate in the power of unity. We'll have more of that to unpack in a few weeks. But this next Sunday, we're going to begin to look at the power of worship. 
Morgan's going to share. I'm, me and Becky will be out this next Sunday um, going on a leadership uh, retreat for in Tennessee for a week. So I'm going to leave you a whole bunch of phone numbers. Don't call me. But we'll be here this, this week and we'll be out the following week. Um, but I'm just believing that, you know, we're going to prepare for war. We're going to be ready. We're not going to be naive. We're going to know what to do. So we're going to unpack next week, power of worship. Then we're going to look at the power of the word. And we're going to look at the power of unity. Can you guys stand up with me? But it's time today, right now, to prepare for war. I don't think we wait. I think we prepare now. I'd rather be gearing up and be bracing rather than when the devil's already all on top of me. But it's up to you that you'd begin to war in the spirit. Um, I think some of you this morning, it might have been a struggle to lift your hands. Might even have been a struggle to say what you said. You're like, well, I had to do it, Pastor. You told me to say it, and everybody else was doing it. Peer pressure is a good thing when it's a godly thing, right? I think some of you need to get to your closet or get to a hidden room and get to that place of surrender. Not when anybody's watching, not when the pastor tells you to, but you just get to that place where you just lift your hands and it doesn't seem like much. But the posture means so much. Because you say the same thing as Moses did, and it illustrates the same thing that I just give up, Lord. I'll allow you to fight through me. Allow you to have your way. And I believe God will fight on your behalf. Don't put up with it, okay? I think God is really going to break through in a lot of areas in our life these next few weeks. And I believe that we are going to set the trajectory of the year, bracing and being ready for what God wants to do among us. It's going to be an exciting year. I think it's going to be a challenging year, but I believe that it's going to be a year of taking back all of the things that the enemy has robbed for us. And you need to be braced for war. Guess what? You fall down. It's all right. Cause the scripture says it's better if two travel together, because if one falls, at least I can help you up. Knock the dust off, keep moving. But pity the one that travels alone. We do everything in this church, in team, in relationship. And is it a lot of work? Yeah. Is it challenging to get along with everybody sometimes? Yeah. Is it worth it at the end of the day? Yeah. But that's where God's heart is. The one thing that makes it possible is the spirit of God inside of me and the spirit of God inside of you. That is the common denominator. That is the factor that will allow unity to happen in our lives. So let me pray for you. And uh, I just want to encourage you to expect the best year yet. What, what does that look like for you when I say that? Uh, expecting the best year yet. And I think you know what that is. Lord, I'd love to see this. Lord, I'd love that right there to change. Whatever that looks like for you, begin to ask God to work that in your life. Prepare for the opposition because it will come. But the plans of the Lord will prevail and we will stand firm until Jesus comes back or we breathe our last breath. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each one here. Lord, I thank you, God, that uh, as we prepare for war, as we see all those spiritual things around us, Father, I pray that your spirit would be mighty and strong inside each of your sons and daughters in this place. Father, I pray for all of the plans of the enemy that have been formed and fashioned against us to just begin to unravel on him.
Lord, the things that have been directed to us, Lord, Father, just <laughs> we just hit it back and we don't take it and we don't settle for it. And Father, we just refuse it in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that today there would be a stepping forward in all of the land that you've called us to take this year. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I pray for just discernment and clarity in our lives. That we would see what you want us to see. That we would hear what you want us to hear. And Father, that we would go where you want us to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.